0: Okay, well, good morning. My name's Simon. If you're new to us, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Hope you've enjoyed your time with us so far this morning. And uh, I have the privilege of speaking to you from uh, the Word of God. If you have a Bible, uh, if you've got one of these black ones, if you want to turn to page 913, we're in Acts chapter 5, the book of Acts chapter 5. And while you're turning there, we have some very exciting news to share with you today. Uh, those of you who worship with us regularly will know that we've, for a while now, quite a while, been on a Bit of a journey together in the pursuit of our own facility. As, as blessed as we are to be uh, provided with this facility, uh, we were keen to own our own. Really, we think that we'll be able to make more of an impact on Kingston if we have our own facility and one that people know where we are, because too many people don't know that we're here. And so, uh, so we are in the pursuit of our own building. And the last couple of Sundays, we had a couple of gift days, raising money towards uh, that objective. And uh, I have the pleasure of passing over to the AV team, who will do something special now, and let you know what that target was. Uh, Last one. There we go. (laughs) Amazing. eh? 61,902 thousand thousand fifty. Isn't that absolutely amazing? I mean it's just remarkable. It is just phenomenally wonderful and uh, I was speaking a couple of weeks ago on, on generosity unleashed and the fact that, that the early church was such a generous people and largely because God had been so generous to them and I talked then about if you compare the ratio of giving in this church with the ratio of giving that say for something like comic relief in the nation uh, the difference is something like or something ridiculous I mean it's just remarkable the generosity is so uh, just yeah. it's it's difficult to say how amazing it is so thank you so much for the generosity, the faith the confidence, the trust the spirit of adventure and risk that that represents the willingness to kind of put our money where our mouth is it's amazing and it's just for us as a team it's a real privilege to have uh, the stewardship of that and to be leading of people who are so willing. It's just an amazing thing. As I've said to you before, we, we boast about you to other, other churches. <laughs> you know, it's like one of the things, we, you know, God is doing something amazing. Uh, and the way that you give is just wonderful. And what's also really exciting is that it wasn't just that there were a few really, really big gifts, although there was some amazing giving, um, but it, this was the rec- a record number of gifts. More people gave into this last gift day than any other one. That I'm aware of, it just you know, people just so generous, absolutely amazing. So thank you so much. Uh, we are amazed. Right. So today we are now, as I say, going to continue in our series called "The Church in Action: Studies in the Book of Acts," and uh, we're uh, in. It's now part ten of that series, and we're at page nine hundred and thirteen. Acts chapter 5. And the title of my message this morning is Uncontainable Life. Uncontainable Life. Now if you're new to the book of Acts, it's a a book written by a guy called Luke, who also wrote the the Gospel of Luke. And it tells the story of the early church after Jesus' ministry on earth. And Jesus then said to his disciples, I want you to go into all the world, making disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Then he says, but before you do, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, which happens in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. It's quite a phenomenal moment. The the place shakes. It's like a rushing wind comes, fire. It appears over their, their heads. They're speaking in new languages they've never learned. It's quite an incredible moment. And then that, really the outbreak of the church kind of comes from that. And 3,000 are saved that day. And then before long, another 5,000 men plus women and children are added. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's in miracles. The bit right before this, uh, which, uh, which we won't go into right now, between 12 and 16, you see miracles kicking off all over the place. And uh, they also hit opposition and challenge. And, uh, and they keep pressing through it remarkably. And I just love verse 14. It says, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. And it's just like this thing is taking off. I mean, by now it's getting through tens of thousands of people. And uh, God's doing something quite remarkable. So we pick it up at chapter 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But... During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these wonderful stories for your uncontainable church. Lord, we praise you for what you've done on the earth. We praise you it cannot be contained to this day. We thank you, Lord, your church will advance, taking the message of the good news of Jesus to every corner of the world. And Lord, we thank you that that's what you've done here in our lives, in our hearts, that it's reached us. And we pray it would reach so many more through us. And we pray that you'd speak to us through this time. We ask you, Holy Spirit, please shed light on your word. Give us revelation of its truth. Let it shape and transform our lives. I ask that you'd help me to speak clearly in a way that would serve each one here. And that you'd help us to see you afresh and be changed by what we see in your word. We ask for that in Jesus' name. I just urge each of you to take a moment and invite God to speak to you this morning. Try and open your heart to him and what he might say to you. John Ortberg is a pastor from a church in America and he tells the following remarkable story in a book that he wrote called The Life You've Always Wanted. I'll just read it to you. It goes as this. The state-run convalescent hospital is not a pleasant place. It is large, understaffed and overfilled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days it seems dark inside and it smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice a week for four years, but never wanted to go there, and I always left with a sense of relief. It's not the kind of place one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts or into wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of this hallway, I saw a woman strapped up in a wheelchair her face was an absolute horror the empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind the large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was almost deaf one side of her face was being eaten by cancer there was a discoloured and running sore covering part of one cheek and it had pushed her nose to one side dropped dropped one eye and distorted her mouth so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth as a consequence she drooled constantly I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisor would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand this site, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in that hallway. But I put a flower in her hand and said, here is a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it, and then she spoke, and much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, Thank you, it's lovely, but can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know, I'm blind. Of course, I said, and I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one, and I stopped the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, Here, this is from Jesus. That was when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned more about her history. She'd grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mother until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone until 1950, when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches, backaches and stomachaches. And then the cancer came too. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays when I usually visited, the stench was often overpowering. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read to her from the Bible, and often when I would pause, she would continue reciting the passage from memory, word for word. On other days I would take a book of hymns and sing with her and she would know all the words of all the old songs. For Mabel, these were not merely exercises in memory. She would often stop in mid-hymn and make a brief comment about the lyrics she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain except in the stress she placed on certain lines in certain hymns. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder and I would go to her with a pen and paper to write down the things that she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in ten directions at once with all the things I had to think about. The question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night? So I went to her and I asked, Mabel, what do you think about when you lay here? She said, I think about my Jesus And I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? And she replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. It's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He's my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I'm sad, I go to him. No other one can cheer me so. When I'm sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. This isn't fiction. Incredible as it may seem, a human being really lived like this. I know. I knew her. How could she do it? seconds ticked and minutes crawled and so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company and without an explanation of why it was all happening and she lay there and sang hymns how could she do it the answer i think is that mabel had something that you and i don't have much of she had power lying there in that bed unable to move unable to see unable to hear unable to talk to anyone she had incredible power I knew I would struggle. (laughs) But it's a powerful story of someone pressing through just unbelievable odds and obstacles and difficulty. And I want to consider what is the question, uh, what is the power, what, how, what sustained her? How did she get through all of her suffering? She had an uncontainable hope, an uncontainable life that kept her going in the midst of hardship, barely imaginable. For the likes of most of us and even made her a blessing to other people you think, how on earth does she do that because I want to know that because <laughs> life is full of challenges and uh, we need grace and help from God to know how to press through and get through the difficulties that we face whether it's you know, relationships that struggle or you know, a marriage that didn't go the way they thought it would and you know, or just the normal pressures of marriage or raising children or or the challenges of singleness, or just work. I mean, there's so many different things that we face. We think, gosh, you know, we need God's help, and we need to learn how to obtain it as we go forward. Now, In the story we're looking at today, you see the disciples with an amazingly buoyant faith and courage that takes them through incredible opposition. And so my first point of two, and it will be the longer one, so fear not when it feels a bit long. Is an uncontainable church. In his commentary on the book of Acts, John Stott kind of titles this whole section in the book Satanic Counter Attack. And it's all about the fact that the church having burst out from seemingly nowhere, now you get the onslaught of the devil fighting back. And uh, last week, Philip wonderfully helped us to see that this attack happened even from the inside. And, uh, and yet now we're looking at an attack that's coming from the outside. And so we see them hitting various obstacles as they go. And I'm just going to quickly go through the obstacles that they face in this story. So the first one, we see that the high priests and all who are with him, the party of Sadducees, rose up against them and arrest them and imprison them. And that's more than I've faced Uh, in my life of trying to bear witness to Christ. I've not had to yet be imprisoned. I know some people who have, but that's not hit me. And what's kind of a bit more scary is that these are the very people who recently killed Jesus. You know, they they got a hold of Jesus. They arrested Jesus, and before long he was on a cross. And so this is the opposition that they're facing. Their first attack is that they are taken by them and uh, arrested and put in prison. And yet, straight away, we find, or more or less straight away, they are uncontainable. We find angelic help comes. God uses just one of the many options at his disposal. We see in verse 19 that during the night an angel of the Lord opened up the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And so out they came. And there's a kind of lovely irony in the fact that Sadducees didn't believe in angels. And so God uses one to break them out of prison, which is quite fun. And this, this whole section is a little bit like... Have you ever seen that whack-a-mole thing? Have you ever seen a whack-a-mole? I think we've got a picture of one that we might be able to get up on there. But it's this whole this game when... That's not me, believe it or not. Um... <laughs> When you, you whack them all and off it pops somewhere else and you've got to try and keep whacking them down you know and it's kind of like that with the guys These, you know it's like get, arrest them and then all of a sudden they're sprang Where they? now they're in the temple and they whack them and it's just the church is kind of just bubbling up everywhere it's all kicking off so I love it it says the, these authorities return to find this empty prison cell and uh, it says when the high priest came and those who were with him they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel sent them to prison to have them brought they didn't find them in the prison returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked, and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. You can just imagine it, can't you? They're kind of like, no, sir. Yes, we looked, and uh, no, there's no one there, and uh, the doors locked, and um, no, sir, can't find them, they seem to be gone. You know, it's kind of like, we found this spoon, if you've seen Monty Python in the Life of Brian. If you haven't, don't worry about the spoon bit. But uh, it's kind of like, <laughs> sorry, I can't find them. Uh, you know, it's just embarrassing, very embarrassing for them. And it's, I love how it says, you know, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. About it. <laughs> it is perplexing. And then suddenly someone's like, look, there they are in the temple. So from some from Somerset, apparently. And, you know, it's just like, look, they're over there. Or whatever the accent that was, I don't know, I never know. But, uh, yes, you know, it's just crazy. Just, you know, what are they there? Now they're over there. Well, what's going on? These are uncontainable. You, can, you try and stuff them down and they pop up somewhere else. It's crazy, and then so then the next bit comes. They go and they bring them, but not by force. Don't want to get killed by anyone today. And so they bring them in. Like, Would you like to come with us, please? And you know, it's lovely. The disciples are genuinely submissive. They're not. They they say later, we must obey God rather than man. But they're not disrespectful, and uh, they don't have a bad attitude towards authority. So when they say come with us, they're like, sure, yeah, we'll go with you. And so along they go with these guys. They're confronted again. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. In no uncertain terms, they are challenged, and they say, we must obey God rather than man. And that's a good line. <laughs> See, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we just do whatever we want, but it means that if an authority is telling you to do something that God doesn't want you to do, you obey God. If you're a wife and your husband says, right, we're going to do this, and it's wrong, it's sinful, you submit to God before you submit to your husband. So it's, that's the c- decision. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that when we're at work and our boss says, would you please actually work instead of going on telling people about Jesus in this office? You know, work, because that's obeying God. He wants you to work, okay? But if your boss says to you, I never want you to breathe a word of Jesus to anyone in this office in your lunch break, in your own time, just shut up. That's going beyond what he's allowed to say. And at that point, you can say, well, I'm going to be true to who I am. So in my own time, when you're not paying me, I will bear witness to Christ. Okay, so we, we have a good attitude towards authority, but ultimately God comes first. And so again, they are uncontainable, even the strict. You're not allowed to do it. Well, I'm afraid that's not going to contain them. Third one we see. So we've already seen them in prison, then we've seen them confronted again. Thirdly, it says, in verse 33, when the authorities heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Furious authorities is never a good thing. Yeah? If a policeman pulls you over looking furious, things aren't looking good. Yeah, it's not gonna not gonna go well. Okay, probably. And and yet once again they prove uncontainable. You have this funny thing where this guy Gamaliel steps up and says, Well hang on, hang on a minute. This is take them out of the room. And he addresses them and he says, You know, look, if this is God you're not gonna be able to stop it. If it's not, it'll probably fizzle out. You know, think about this guy Theodos and Judas. They they both led some kind of revolt. Judas got killed, the whole thing came to nothing. Judas died, the whole thing came to nothing. You know, you're not, if it's from God, you're not going to be able to stop them. And he got that bit right. He got quite a lot wrong. But, you know, the idea that, oh, if it's not from God, then it will fail anyway. Well, not necessarily. Quite a lot of things succeed in the short term that aren't from God. But he was right if, when he said, if it's from God, you won't be able to overthrow them. And that's exactly what happens. They keep going and... Uh, His advice is taken, and so they're freed. So once again, they prove uncontainable. And fourthly, it says that when they had called them, verse 14, when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Now, it's unclear as to whether the beating that they received was the same kind of beating Jesus would have received before the cross, but it may have been. I mean, that's a savage, savage thing. You have, you know, just torn to shreds. Uh, Unbelievable. I remember Paul... uh, Sorry, John Piper, saying, he's a preacher from America, he said, I've often gone to bed wondering what Paul's back looked like from all the scars. And John Piper's a kind of strange man in that regard, I suppose you could say. But, but that is quite a thought, isn't it? What did his back look like? I bet it was a mess. I bet pieces was a mess. Because these guys are savagely beaten. And yet they are uncontainable even after that beating and that repeated charge, do not speak in the name of Jesus. They are uncontainable. And it says in verse 41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Uncontainable disciples. You knock them down, they went straight back up again. Jumbawamba-esque. Okay. I don't know if you ever saw those toys uh, that have a little weight in the bottom and you knock them over and they just go boing, straight back up again, boing. This is what they're like. Just shut up, boing, up they come again. You can't stop these guys. They're just crazy. You can't beat them. You can't hold them down. You knock them down and bounce straight back up again. It's amazing. Uncontainable disciples. Uncontainable church. How? How did they do this? How were they so uncontainable? Well, firstly, just straight away, not through their own strength, quite clearly. So we see various examples of human weakness. We see examples of human strength failing in this passage. It's interesting. It says that the high priest rose up, in verse 17. And yet, really, his efforts are contained. He's trying to stop them. He can't. He's kind of contained ultimately. He's knocked down, he stays down. We hear about Theodos, who, in verse 36, he rose up and yet he's killed. It's contained. He's knocked down, he stays down. We hear about Judas the Galilean, who rose up in verse 37. He's contained, he's knocked down, he stays down. The, you know, these various people, well, I'm going to be something and I'm going to make this happen. And they up, they come, and then the thing falls apart and down they go, and that's it. They stay down. But these apostles, they come around speaking truth, challenging wickedness. It's a challenge to the authorities, we feel very threatened. And so they put them in prison, securely lock it, put guards around the doors, and then when they open it, they find there's no one there. And the next thing you know, these people are out in the temple, proclaiming words of life, preaching about Jesus. Who are they preaching about? Well, this is the amazing thing. So you've got, high priest does his best, his efforts are contained. Theodos does his best, efforts are contained. Judas does his best, efforts are contained. Apostles do their best, boom, keep going, boom, keep going, boom. Keep, they just keep on moving. They're not contained, you cannot contain them. And what are they preaching about? Well, interestingly, they're preaching about another guy who they tried to shut up, the authorities had. And they put him in a very secure prison called death. They nailed him to a cross and you don't get out of that prison. They put him in a tomb with a one and a half ton stone blocking the door. It was a pretty good place to keep him contained, I'd think. And even though you can't break out of death, they still put guards around the tomb. And yet, they went to look a couple of days later on Easter Sunday, and there was no one inside. They found no one inside the tomb where they had trapped him. And the next thing they hear, he's out and he's preaching words of life. It's an amazing thing. This, I love how this story had just the echoes of the resurrection in it. Even the presence of the guards and the people and then the angel being there. And they're kind of like, uh, Yeah, he's supposed to be in here, but he's not. Uh, should we make something up quick? Jesus is uncontainable. And that's the uh, second point. <laughs> an uncontainable church. How are they uncontainable? What, what makes them different from the high priest and Theodus and Judas? What makes them different? Well, because in them is the life of an uncontainable Christ. A Christ that even death can't contain. And they are in touch with him. Why are they uncontainable? Because Christ is uncontainable. So we see an uncontainable church. And secondly, we see an uncontainable saviour. And so as they say in verse 30, the God, when they're talking to the authorities, they say to them, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. As they said earlier in chapter 2, it was impossible for death to hold him. He's righteous. You can't hold him down. See, the, the way that death works, if you like, is it attaches itself to sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus died under the weight of our sin. But because he was without sin, death could not hold him down. up he came. And he is uncontainable. Jesus is uncontainable. And so, why were they so uncontainable? Because Christ is uncontainable and because the life of this uncontainable Christ was in them. And so they take on the buoyancy of The uncontainability of this uncontainable Christ. His new, fresh life is in them. Listen to what the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says. He says, this life, life itself, had come to life in quite a new way. (laughs) When Jesus came from the grave, life itself had come to life in quite a new way a force of life had broken through the normally absolute barrier of death and had burst into the present world of decay and corruption as a new principle, a new possibility, a new power. And it was this life which was carrying the apostles along with it, like a strong wind driving sailing boats out across a wild sea. Jesus was uncontainable and he put his life. And when he, when he broke out of death, He starts a new day, a whole new day, and his life comes into his apostles and they start being the kind of people you just can't hold them down. You just can't trap them. See, I think often people think Christianity is about being contained by various rules and a a particular morality. Oh, what a boring contained life you have to lead. You're not allowed to do the things I can do. I can, I can do this. I can do that. I can, you know, I'm free to do what I want any old time. I can sleep around. I can do whatever, or whatever kind of thing. I don't have to be contained by your morality. I can say what I want, look at what I want, do what I want, go where I want. And you Christians, you're stuck in your morality. You kind of got this, oh, this kind of confined existence in the boredom of having to follow rules and what have you. That's so completely wrong. We're talking about a life that, can't, that death can't contain. That gets into the hearts of people who believe in Jesus and find it's a better thing. And find that those things that we are instructed not to do are actually places that steal life from you. The places that when you get into it, you afterwards, you think, oh, what have I done? And you end up in trouble. It's about learning that God there's a life he puts on the inside that can actually... It's an uncontainable life. It's an uncontainable life. Now, I'm going to do something extraordinarily radical now and do a visual aid. Okay, so prepare to be stunned and amazed. You sense a slight cynicism in the air, I see. Okay. Thank you very much. As you can see, it involves a large stone. (laughs) Um, This, and a yellow ball, and a big bucket of water. So, here we go. Shall we applaud my beautiful assistants? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now, I'm not... Usually, one to do these things. I don't think Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones would have been found dead doing something like this. But um, never mind, we'll, we'll crack on. Okay, so here we go. This is what we are like. This is water. Let's turn this a little bit out of the way. And we are sinkable. Right? There we are, sunk. Death has me under its grip. Death is a big rock in this, in this illustration. Okay, and that's it. I can't get out from there. I'm stuck. No way I can get out from there. Um, Death has got me well and truly pinned. Okay, but then Jesus shows up and then they put him to death. And they think, we've got him pinned, definitely. Oh, whoops. Oh, dear. Oh, that's inconvenient, isn't it? Yeah, up he comes. Yeah, you try and hold it down. Oh, no, no, he's definitely not going to stay under. And even if I try and put the rock on it. Oh, no, it's not going to work. Oh no, up he comes, up he comes. See, Jesus' power is too great for death to contain, okay? It's too much to ever be held back in the throes of death. And then when he comes out of the grave, he makes this amazing thing available. He says, I will put my power in you. So here's me, rubbish old me, or any other disciple. And then he says, here we go, I'll put my life in you. I realise the irony that my breath is now representing the power of God. But... uh, and I can't even blow this up, so I'm struggling with that. Here we go. So he says, I'll fill you with my life. And you may be just um, not a very exciting thing. Believe it or not, this is not a pepper big bull; It's some other kind of bull. He may not be very impressive, but he's put his life in me. And then, oh, look, up I come. It's magic, yeah? Should I do this again? Or? No, we've, we've concluded this doesn't work. Okay, I'll go back to preaching properly in the future. Don't worry. But uh, I mean, even if I trumpet death on. No, oh no, it comes up again. So there you go. Know, kind of works, doesn't it? Yeah, sort of with me. See, he puts his power in believers, and because his power is in believers, way! they jolly well take off. They they take flight. Thank you very much. It's it's good news, eh? It's amazing. I I hope that that sort of helps to make some point. <laughs> But that's the amazing thing. Jesus, now, it doesn't mean that as soon as his life gets into you, you just everything is just hunky-dory. Because you know, life is full of sh- struggles and troubles. And so you know the journey up into what God's got for us can take a long, old time. But in the life of every believer, there is the Spirit of God which will ultimately bring you through into a place of complete life. Ultimately, that's your destination. Ultimately, you will not be trapped in the things that trap you now if your life is in Christ, if your confidence is in Christ, you put your hope in Jesus, you have an inevitable buoyancy to you. You will emerge. You will come through. You will emerge from your struggles. And even death itself. See, the danger is, see in this story, an angel shows up and busts them out of prison. A couple of chapters later, Stephen's under the cosh. No angel shows up for him. He gets stoned to death. Later on, in Peter's life, there's a point when an angel could have come. But it doesn't come and he gets killed. You know, later on I mean even in this story, the angel comes and gets them out of prison and then they put them over the, the, the whipping post and you think, um, Angel, Lord, angel, remember that angel that got us out of prison? Could he, could he stop No, oh, no. They get whipped. It does it doesn't mean you see the danger even when you emphasize any of these things that people start thinking what you're saying is, Yeah, Jesus in your life everything will be fine. No, not at all. They got whipped, it was horrible. But even that wasn't going to contain them. And with Stephen, with stones raining down on his skull, he's saying, I see Christ at the right hand of God. He's going to glory. He's coming straight out the top of this thing. He's not going to be held down, even death itself. So that's good news. And that's not because of anything we've done. It's just because he's put his life into you. He's breathed his life into you. So it may still be hard now. We may still be down near the bottom at the moment. But eventually up you'll come and there'll be a moment when you burst out. Oh, it's just wonderful. I think of someone like Frank Gamble who was a guy that some of you will have known, probably not many of you, who in his, he was a friend of my parents and and of, of our families really and in his 20s is a devoted follower of Jesus, pastor of church. He He got an illness that for the rest of his life resulted in his spine being curved over he was in a restricted to a wheelchair, kind of paralyzing arth- arthritis, could barely move at all without agonizing pain. And then one day he died. And that day he blew out the top of the thing. And just suddenly, all gone, all gone. All the pain, all that agony that he lived with every day, is just gone. And God didn't rescue him from it before. God could have healed him. It's a mystery. You know, there's power. There's evidence that Jesus has risen in our life. We see it. Healings happen. Happened to me recently. I had this, this chronic, um, chronic. Well, a lot every day bleeding from my mouth. Every time I brush my teeth, a lot of blood coming. And uh, I won't tell you the whole story. It takes you long. But it just went. And when I went to the consultant, he said, "Yeah, you're in a mess." Sent me to the hygienist. When I went to the hygienist to get the deep clean, she says, "There's no evidence of anything." The consultant's told me to look for. It's just gone. And I'm like. She said to me, have you been praying? (laughs) I said, yes, I have actually. She said, oh, you're a Christian? I said, well, yeah, I lead a church. She said, oh, good, so am I. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And, and, uh, And on it went. See, there is a power that keeps people going. And it's this life in Christ. Julius Palmer had it. He was burnt at the stake in 1556. He said this, we shall not end our lives in the fire, but make a change for a better life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was hanged in 1945. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. Paul the Apostle, beheaded in Rome, 1965. I mean, sorry, 65 AD. Just checking, you're with me. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is what Mabel had. She had that air in her. She had the power of the Spirit of Christ at work in her. And I imagine by now, she's with him. And without any pain, without blindness, without any of that suffering. There's a life that can take us through. So in conclusion, get hold of it. Don't be like Gamaliel and say, oh, if it's from God, it will probably go well. Don't get in its way, whatever you do. You know, it's like, is that all you've got to offer? Don't get in the way of it, it might be God. If it's God, get a hold of it. Don't just kind of stand out of the way. Take hold, Paul says to Timothy later on, take hold of the eternal life that is in you. Get a hold of what God's got for you. Have you done that? Or are you taking hold of containable things? Are you taking hold of, I think this will get hold of me. This, this will take me to... See, if you fill this thing with money, it will probably sink quicker. You know, if, we, if we say, oh, I'm going to fix my hope on this, well, that's sinking. Ultimately, a career is not going to burst out of the grave or another relationship or whatever. Any other thing that we put our hope in, these are containable hopes. There is one that's an uncontainable hope. So take hold of it. It's the one thing that will get you through. The one thing. There's not any, nothing else. No other thing ultimately will take us even through death. Only one person ever broke it. It's Jesus. And now, because of his kindness to us, he's shared it with us. We can take hold of eternal life because of Jesus. By believing him, putting our trust in him, and following him. And imagine, the more we do, we we'll have... It starts taking off. It's exciting. I was going to get loads of the bull pit balls and try and shove them in, but never mind. <laughs> I have decided against it. So we're going to finish there. And as we do, we're going to take communion. Okay? And taking communion is just one way of, of saying, I want to take hold of this life. I want to take hold of who Jesus is for me. Put my trust in his life for me. And uh, if you're a believer, if you've put your trust in Jesus, I invite you to do that. If you're not, maybe today can be the first time you do that. Maybe you can say, yeah, I want to take hold of that life in Christ. Okay. If that's a new thing for you, if you've never taken communion before, I just encourage you to realize, if you're going to take hold of that, but that's you saying, I want this. Don't do it casually do it because you say yeah i want to pin my hope on jesus the way we do it is we have bread and wine that's available you just come and take a bit of bread dip it in and uh and and eat it as we sing a couple of closing songs so if i can invite dan and Anna to join me and we're going to sing a couple of songs in closing and take communion together so I, can i just invite you to stand and communion will be made available at the front at the back will be um juice and gluten-free bread at the front will be uh bread and wine okay Let's just pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your uncontainable life. We thank you death couldn't hold you down. And we thank you that you have been willing to share your uncontainable life with us so that we can start taking on this quality of being uncontainable. Thank you. It means that we have power in you to get through every obstacle, Lord, even death itself. Lord, we thank you. It doesn't mean things are easy, but it does mean that we have an inevitable future in you. That's good news. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus. And we pray even now as we close in song and as we take communion, we just want to say, Lord, we want to take hold of your eternal life. Lord, we know it's there. It's it's available for us. And I pray you'd help none of us to be half-hearted about it. We want to grab hold of it with all our hearts. And I pray that that would make such an impact on Kingston that it would splash all over Kingston. Lord, this life, as we take hold of it in you, For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.